Hello and welcome to the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I am your host, Dexter Kearley. I'm not sure if I caught that sneeze, but like right as I was starting to record this, my wife sneezed in the other room. So hopefully I caught that. If not, no worries. Um, so it's been a little bit of a gap since the last episode that I put out. I think I was trying to go every week, but I think it's been two weeks since my last one. But there are several reasons for that. One, the family, we loaded up and we went to Meow Wolf in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Stayed in a little VRBO there. Um, let's see, what, what all did we do there? We ate at a pizza place and there was a Grateful Dead cover band playing in like the little plaza there in Santa Fe. It was super fun. So we just kind of did that. And then we went to Meow Wolf the next day. The first day we did that, second day. Went to Meow Wolf, which was super cool. Um, I'm pretty sure, I think that, um, I think, just sorry, I was, uh, had to mess with my computer a second, um, that it was, it's the largest tourist attraction in Santa Fe, and it might be like the largest art attraction um, in the United States. I, I heard something like that. I might be making that up. Anyway, it's very impressive. It's a very impressive art installation. There's like a cool um, mystery that goes along with the the story. Like there's a story to like all the whimsical art and psychedelic art and everything. Super cool place. If you ever get a chance and you're in Santa Fe, you should definitely take um, like a morning to half a day maybe all day there i mean it's a large thing especially if you're trying to figure out like the mystery to it um there's a lot of little nooks and crannies and they paid a really large amount of uh attention to detail so super cool thing check that out the other thing that took up a lot of my time was uh, i went up to colorado with some of my family up to uh, their cabin and we um you know took emmett up there it was his first time really in the mountains uh a lot of fun. It was fun being with family. We went on, I thought it was going to be a short hike. It ended up being like 16.7 miles or something like that. I thought we ended up hiking one of the peaks. Um, but it was a really great time. Um, but through both of those two trips, I didn't have any time to record any podcasts or really, or really even think about podcasting. It was kind of nice just to take a break and reset Today is actually my birthday, which is another crazy thing. And I think right around now is whenever I started the podcast. So uh, podcast has about a year uh, under its belt. Uh, I've got another year around the sun under my belt. And so I just kind of took two weeks just to chill out. And we took some family trips and stuff. And so that's why there's a little gap in between the delivery of the uh, the podcasts. I had to mess with my phone. Um, anyway, so um, had to. Ooh, this garbage truck driving down my alley right now. Anyway, chasing uh, chasing school. So back to it. So plus, my wife is in graduate school. These are another. These are all excuses for why it's taken me a little while to put out episodes. But wife's in grad school. She's taking classes. Um, working and chasing around a two-year-old, just haven't had time to get out episodes. Anyway, in the midst of uh, uh, all the busyness that I've been doing, 
uh, I have gotten to make it out to a couple of shows here in Amarillo. Um, so his name's Tashi Dorgi, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, he was a guitarist that played at the Tecla House. Hayden Pedigo opened for him, and he had a super cool sound. Um, really unique, like almost sounded, uh, I, I kind of pictured it as being backup music for like a kung fu movie. Like it was a really cool, kind of like a modern, but still felt like, like, um, I kind of had, it had that oriental music style, that flair. Um, and then Hayden opened for him, which Hayden always kills it. And then the other show I've made it to, uh, since our last chit chatting was a guy named Riley Walker and his band played at the Golden Light here in Amarillo. And there were a bunch of cool dudes, um, I'm going to actually play a song uh, of his right before the interview. Um, They were super talented. Uh, I really appreciate Hayden being like a... um, He's he's kind of helping usher in a lot like talented individuals into Amarillo to play music. And it's been super enjoyable um, just to see good talent really high quality talent coming through amarillo and playing shows it it's fun i had a good time at the golden light and the tech house has of course been killing it if you've been listening to my, my podcast i talk about them a lot because they're doing some cool stuff so um anyway those two shows were a lot of fun uh this season of amarillo is perfect as far as like um going into fall like the weather's super nice i've just been really digging it but Anyway, all that in the bag. Uh, Jump into some events that are coming up. There's a fall festival September 28th at Mariposa Eco Village. Um, One of the friends of the podcast, Keegan's putting that thing on with uh, some some other compatriots. And uh, they're they're working it out. I think there's going to be some live music there with the Late Dads. Taste the Smooth. I think he's a DJ, but... uh, Cody Potts, I think he's a DJ, and then Western Pop, I think he might be a rapper. I'm not exactly sure. I just have met, basically seen these people through Instagram, but that's some of the stuff. And I think pictures, I don't know, Eric talked about it as well. Eric Burdett, he's a guest from a couple back. So be on the lookout for that September 28th if you're in the Amarillo area or if you don't have anything going on. That'd be something interesting. They're really trying to start building up that area as a venue and as a place to exhibit art and possibly grow it to being like a on the larger cultural scene like a, like a hub. So um, it's something cool for Amarillo and they've been at it for a long time and I believe that's a pretty cool area out there. So... Anyway, also check out the Critical Mass bike ride at the end of this month. Um, I think it's the last Friday of every month, so uh, check it out. My wife just walked in the room eating, what is that? Tomato, cheese. That's it. Sand- sandwich. Oh, sandwich, yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, on that quick, that quick lunch. Uh, anyway, so now I would like to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, Happy Hour. Um, go to Happy Hour tx.com you can place an order um happy hour is your location for frozen drinks to go um also they will deliver any order over five if you order five drinks or more they'll deliver it to you um 
This is perfect for like one of their target uh, customer bases is uh, our office people. So office get together. So maybe you get to wrap up an hour early, uh, order some drinks and relax in the office. Uh, This would be an amazing tool. Say you are a manager of a group of people and you want to reward your group and uh, get them talking, get them to be more personal with each other maybe collaborate a little bit better. Hey, reward them, you know, say set a day of the week, Tuesdays, four o'clock, everybody gathers around maybe at three 30 so that you get the drinks at four o'clock. I don't know how long their delivery time is, but, uh, maybe three 30, everybody puts in an order. You have it delivered to the office four o'clock. You cut out, you just sit in the office, you drink your frozen alcoholic beverage. You'll relax you get a little moment of peace within your day. You know, you build that into your day. Uh, it kind of has like a, a way of, um, I don't know exactly, rewarding yourself, rewarding your employees, having a better office environment. Let's see, where was I at on this? Um, uh, order. Uh, so if you use the promo code Happy Primate, you get 20% off of your order. Um, you can redeem that promo code either at their uh their olsen location babe can you give me that uh address real quick i'm on it thanks um there sometimes i do this i forget to write down like a key piece of information and then i'm just got my phone going with instagram live my computer's recording i don't have time to look this stuff up you know this i have to make this note but I forgot to make the note. So Shannon's looking it up for us. So she'll get there. We actually got this this past week. 3801 Olson. 3801 Olson. You heard it here. Say that again. Sweet 8. Sweet 8. So happy hour. Look for their sign. Monday through Saturday, 12 to 9. Ooh, Monday through Saturday, 12 to 9. Check that out. Uh, we ha- We got some this week. We got three drinks. We got a blueberry one. A pina colada. What did what did Jillian get? A raspberry. Strawberry daiquiri. Oh, she got a strawberry daiquiri. All three drinks were delicious. Um, we enjoyed them in our backyard in a peaceful setting. It was a lovely way to have a drink uh, in the evening without committing too much financially or time wise. So it was amazing. Um, again, use Happy Primate as your promo code, and you get twenty percent off your order. Give them a follow on Instagram, um, and if you do go in and you use the promo code, tag me in a picture. Uh, that'd be kind of cool to start seeing. Just use that promo code, and you get that you get that uh, get that little discount. So, okay, all that to be said, this is an eleven minute intro, a little long. I don't know how long people normally go with uh, how long people normally go with uh, Instagram live videos either. So I'm gonna wrap this thing up, but. So I'm playing a song by Riley Walker. This is off of his 2018 release of Deaf Man Glance. Um, He played a lot of dope songs. The whole band was really good. I mean, you could tell that they were all like high level uh, musicians. You know, they they have really honed their craft in a in a a meaningful way. It was super cool to see. So uh, check him out. Uh, Follow him on the on his. Follow him on Instagram, and you can get in touch with the guys in his band. Um, 
and uh, or just get in touch with him, check out his music. This song is called Spoil With The Rest. Um, so anyway, I hope you enjoy this song. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy Savannah. She's a super interesting person. Uh, she's doing a lot of really cool things in Amarillo. And uh, check the show notes at the bottom for links. And uh, I really appreciate you people. So uh, enjoy. Thank you. 
All right. You ready to start this thing? Yeah, what are we talking about today? All right. Well, you want to just start it? And then yeah. we'll just start talking about it. <laughs> Let's All just right. start talking. All right. Ready, set. Well, I don't see it. That's the other thing is I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out how I'm going to enter it, like enter into these things. Like, does it need to be a formal start or can it be kind of like a rolling? You know, like I always imagine like a car after the battery. Well, I guess the battery died and you're going to try to pop the clutch to get it started, mm-hmm. you know? And so you're like pushing it and it just, you know, it's not That's very... Yeah, it just eventually kind of starts up and then it's yeah. rolling, you know. But sometimes you got to push until it starts. I think it's an easy. Um, I think you can go either way. Like you can do it that way where it's real casual and then gets into the formalized conversation, or you could have something that you're like known for. It's a really mm. easy way to like coin a phrase or something like oh. that. Where when they hear that phrase, they know that that's you. Yeah. <clears throat> either way. As a guess, what is like more comfortable? I'm fine with whatever. Cool. I mean, yeah. Well, we'll just consider it started then. All right. And at some Love point in time, in that intro, I will like start the start. start the, that's and that's where people are jumping yep. in. Yep. And that's cool. It that's works. how that's how it goes sometimes. But give me okay. So I sometimes I I get nervous about asking this question to like a guest because it is kind of like a it is kind of like a like a rough just like instant, but. 30 second, who you are, like a short summation. Um, Savannah Gates, local engineer turned farmer slash consultant of um, business and food and beverage and kind of a jack of all trades or master of all trades, I guess, yeah. at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, foodie um, mouthpiece from the farmers to the chefs. Um, bridge the gap between technology and tradition. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so, um, so that was going to be like, my first question is like, you grew up here in Amarillo mm-hmm. in the panhandle area yep. out in Bushland. and out in Bushland and your family had a working farm. So it wasn't like for profit. It was, um, my mom and dad are both medical field. And mm-hmm. so they're very aware of, um, like nutrition and what we're putting in our bodies. Mm. Um, so they started up, they found some land out there when I was about in between like two and three. And we started off, we had horses already. And then we got into raising our own cows for our own freezer. So for two different reasons, one was, um, so it's all natural. It's, you don't have mm. any of the hormones. You don't have any of that. But also it's a lot cheaper in the long run. For you to raise your own cow, especially if you do two, because you can sell the other one to somebody else when it's ready. Mm. So it pays for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of it was just being smart with their money, but then also the nutrition side of things. And then it turned into ducks because we had a really bad year of grasshoppers that were annihilating mm. the garden and the grapevines. And then that we tasted those eggs and then it turned into chickens. And it grew from there. We ended up with an ostrich farm at one point. So wait, do you have the chickens to eat the grasshoppers? Yeah, we got the ducks for the The grasshoppers originally. And then as soon as we tasted the eggs and tasted that difference between something you can get at a grocery store... Because free range wasn't oh, like a thing. So you're back eating then. the duck eggs? So we ate the And you're duck saying eggs. these duck eggs are so much better than any other we, duck eggs I've ever had. Well, any eggs in general really? that we've had. Yeah. Hmm. They're super rich. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. See, I've yeah. never had a duck egg, oh, I, I could don't have think. Had some. Damn. We could have had breakfast on the show. Oh, next time. Next time. Next I got time you. we'll do that. Yeah. 
That's awesome though. So you you got ducks, you got chickens, chickens. and what what we're talking three years old to eighteen. Mm-hmm. Like it's just growing this whole time. Yeah. They're yeah. growing, they're deepening their knowledge, mm-hmm. and then you just by proxy are living this lifestyle mm-hmm. that your parents are kind of pursuing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the ostriches were an interesting one. Mad cow disease hit. Oh yeah. And so the ostrich market was a great alternative to that. Ooh. Because it's a red meat. It's really lean, low cholesterol. Um, it's popular in other countries. Yeah. But so we start. Yeah, we did a little bit of that. We have the whole incubator set up, and mm. which is massive, by the way, for those eggs. Um, oh dang! I didn't think about that. Huge. How many? How many go into one incubator of ostrich eggs? Oh, I bet it was like thirty. Thirty in one? Yeah, it's like a huge like commercial fridge size. Oh, it's dang! Massive. Oh yeah, it was a process. Did you feel like as a little kid, like you were kind of in Jurassic Park? A little bit. You know, you got like yeah. these ostrich eggs cooking in one room. Uh, you know, you got yeah. like that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, it was the little one that they would distract the male ostrich at the other end of the pen, and they'd send me into hustle in, grab the egg, and retrieve it, and ooh. come back. Yeah. So are these these ostriches pretty mean? Um, we had a couple that were, but yeah. most of them were pretty easy going. Like kind of like yeah. big chickens. Like, can you pet them? Um, some of them we could. Really? Yeah. And they like um, bright red, pink, orange, yellow, and shiny. Hmm. And so you could get their attention like really easily with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's And we would fun. feed them out of our hands, like pick some cachia weeds or something and feed them. And, yeah. That's yeah. pretty fun. Uh, ostriches. Okay. So like that gets, that's growing up progressively understanding a farm and the the benefits and, mm-hmm. plus like being self-sustainable self-reliant which is like kind of cool in the panhandle you've mm-hmm. always had this uh i think you've all maybe i don't even necessarily maybe at some points it was the entire culture but there's always been a subculture of people providing not only for themselves but for like the larger community mm-hmm. running like a large garden or yeah. doing something just for fresh produce yep. within the the neighborhood mm-hmm. um and the pickling and everything else that come, the jams and um, a lot of it we didn't talk too much about like the nutrition necessarily as mm-hmm. a little kid. It was more the difference in flavor of mm. things. Like it. Was so really, your parents both fo- like foodie people. Like are they are no? they into cooking and? I mean, yeah, they both definitely cook. They're just I wouldn't call them foodies per oh, se. Okay. But um, they're definitely knowledgeable as to like where the food comes from and the difference in quality. Like we. Just picked up a pig from Pereira Farm that was um, fed out on dairy milk or cow's milk. Um, so you get a really rich flavored meat from that. Mm. Yeah. And so like the depending on what season it is, if the bugs are all out, then the eggs get really rich because it's super high protein diet. Oh. Things like that. that. Not being super technical or sciencey or anything, but when you sit down and have breakfast. Practical. That, yeah. It's like talking to an old farmer from a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna be t- he's gonna be filling you in on mm-hmm. some shit that you weren't even thinking, like yep. playing uh that next level, like the Wendell Berry type. Yes. Like uh next level farming game. Uh-huh. Like 'cause there there is one where it's just like you throw a lot of resources at it. But then there's another, like, almost more elegant way where it's like you mm-hmm. dance with what's already happening, yep. and that's where your money's at. Yeah, you know, it turns it's into like, almost an art. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got ranchers around here that, um, you know, we're big beef eaters around here, but you've got certain ones that are doing grass-fed beef, but they've got a decade of generation of marbling genetics. Like, mm. they've spent 
literally a decade building the marbling because we don't really think about the genetics of the animal, right? Right. You think about like uh, your parents and how you become like a better version of them because you took two like beautiful, smart people or Mm -hmm. whatever, put them together and now you come out. And so it just keeps building. Exactly. It's the same thing with these animals. So Mm -hmm. you get these cows that um, have really nice, um, it's kind of funny, like topic of GMO, right? Genetic Uh modification. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we've been doing that for oh, hundreds yeah. of years. Yeah. You take the best of your herd and you breed those together and then this is what you come out with. And over the years, cows have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and better flavor. And yeah. Yeah, that's uh, my Shannon's grandparents have a ranch. Oh, okay. And he does Angus. And it's so funny going down there because it's an old man with his hobby. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. Like his life... What he wanted to do his whole life, he's now doing it. That's awesome. And he has this herd of Angus, and they're not for eating. That's what's interesting. These are not. These are, are strictly breeding cows. Oh, strictly breeding. So okay. it's it's really crazy. So he's so he's, he sells the babies. Um, no, typically, well, he Even hasn't males? been. He's been. He'll he'll keep a mom, have her like three generations, and then he'll. The mom will be a little older. He'll maybe sell off the mom and one of the babies and then keep the two younger. Gotcha. And, you know, mm-hmm. so he's just really, he's just in, in like he's, it's a hobby for him. He's yeah. like playing Monopoly or yeah. something with these cows. Uh-huh. But it's so interesting when you start looking at the yearling weights, the feed out weights, the water weights. It's, you know, you, you make a cow that's more drought resistant. You mm-hmm. can make a cow that's, and it's better for the cow. Yeah. I mean, the cow is more fit, you yep. know? So it is kind of an interesting... I mean, they're like his pets. They come up yeah. to him and he, he like, scratches them behind the ear and yeah. stuff, you know? Well, then you so. get on, the, like, the international scale, right? So I was down in Costa Rica one time talking to this rancher about the cows down there. And uh, the beef down there is horrible. Like, the flavor is horrible. Hmm. And But the milk is super rich. And so we're like, this makes no sense. Like, the, everything's so green. I don't understand why these cows, like, why? And what he said was that there wasn't enough nutrition content in that grass because it grows so fast. Mm. So the flavor's terrible. So had some brilliant Texans decide to take, well, we'll take our Angus on down there and then take over the market. Well, the mosquitoes wiped them all out because of all the diseases Oh yeah, so whoa. then you start doing these cross breeds between these resilient ones that are like native, yeah, with our better genetics up here for flavor. Same things happening in uh, in Africa right now. It's just up at Bill Gates Foundation, and you were uh huh up Where in at? Seattle. Oh there was yeah, a convention. Up oh there. yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was. Talk about some wait. Brains. I think I, I'm pretty sure I saw. It. Did you put some Instagram pictures up mm-hmm. from that thing? Yeah, okay, yeah, then the I saw Tesla that. Coil. Yeah, yeah, yes. that was cool. Yeah, so that's like So that was that was did you say something about a chandelier? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They had a Tesla coil as their chandelier in the entryway of Global Good, which is like in you've got Microsoft and mm-hmm. then you've got Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that's like their nonprofit, but mm-hmm. then you have Global Good right in the middle. So whenever the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are tackling a problem, which right now they're focused mostly on agriculture they've Mm. defined that as the way out of poverty so um looking at agriculture that's one of the things that they were tackling so they take these issues and then they talk to these this team of like super nerd engineers that are just brilliant we got to sit down with them nice and they take these little problems like 
okay, we need to do artificial insemination over here in Africa under these conditions. So they've like designed this ice chest that'll keep ice for a month so that they can take that the uh, the semen over there. And so they're taking our Holstein cows that produce a ton of milk over here and crossbreeding them with the native cows over there that barely produce any, but they can withstand the drought and the heat mm. and the mosquitoes and all of that. Is that the same cooler that they made for organ like transport or something like that this one's even further like beyond that the design of it is insane but it's a it's around the same concept but like Uh a more developed design of it because like they were wanting something that is like basically foolproof like even if it doesn't have power even if it doesn't have this or that it can like maintain ice Mm -hmm. for However is that are you talking about Bill and Melinda Gates specifically? I don't know. I, I feel like I maybe saw like a uh, like a TED talks about that, and and somebody was saying like, hey, if we develop this product, then there's all these cross uses yes. of this one mm-hmm. product, and so he's saying we can keep organs. Yeah. But in in developing that technology, yep. then it makes it to where we can do all of this other yeah. stuff and in third world countries. Yeah. Too. They're what? It might, it, they're super robust. Oh. So that, you know, if you drop it or something. Yeah, it's just or, boop, boop, like yeah. shock absorbent. Nothing's yeah. going to go mm-hmm. wrong. That's pretty cool. So that yeah. was all up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So we haven't even gotten, so um, we haven't even gotten to college yet. We're college. still on high school. Yeah, so I was playing around in the garden um, as a kid and my mom was watching me uh, mess with like the water and making sure the water got to everything because the flow wasn't working right over here. And so I'm just tinkering away and she's like, you know, you make a great engineer, which to me was a train driver. And she explained to me, well, Mm. they're good at math, science and problem solving. I'm like, well, that sounds about right. Yeah. So went off to Texas Tech and um, got mechanical engineering degree. Nice. Hated school. What years were you there? Um, 08 to 12. Oh, eight to twelve. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Played a little rugby. Played in the band. Yeah. Wait. Busy. So it was. Were you on scholarship for rugby? No. No, I, you just I played. On. Yeah. Nice. How yeah. was that? Was it Amazing. fun? Amazing. Yeah. yeah. All the sports I played growing up. That was like it. You put everything together and you've got rugby. Really? So, yeah. Pretty fun. Oh my god, you would love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing is, I was. I've been thinking about this. You know, I'm. Today's actually my 30th birthday. Well, happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. It's crazy. But so like it's got me in this like reminiscent stage, mm-hmm. like where I'm kind of looking back at different stages of my life and trying to see what was good, what was bad. Practically, like in the thing with football is I could never get over the head to head, like the helmet to helmet. Mm-hmm. And that's really how you get a good hit, at least whenever I was growing up. And, but it, it would hurt. Like there's sure. like a certain amount of like pain and I could never overcome the hurt, you yeah. know? So like football, I was always good at it, but I was kind of a little hit shy always. Yeah, but I think if I didn't that. have the helmet on, yeah. I think it would be different because I loved wrestling <laughs> growing yeah. up. Oh, like yeah. I wrestled all through high school and that's uh, almost more violent in one way Mm -hmm. you know because you're getting pinned to the ground versus just a pop just a hit you know but for some reason i you know i think it was probably that concussion feeling you know i had a couple early times i got a couple like my bell rung a couple of times Mm -hmm. and it was like dude that sucks man like and i feel a little dumber afterwards you know (laughs) it's like (laughs) i don't want that to happen yeah Yeah. don't want that to happen again but that's interesting so rugby Yeah. yeah um there, it's interesting that there are some sports 
that America grabs onto and loves and uh-huh. does all the time. Yeah. And because because really, more people should play rugby because you don't need the pads, right? Right. And so instead of going to the park to play football yeah. and have to wear flags, yeah. you should just learn a different sport. Play yeah. rugby. Yeah. You don't wear pads. Well, I think you know? uh, less injury. People think it's more brutal, but... There's you don't have helmets that are hitting body parts. Mm-hmm. You know it's body to body. Like yes, it still hurts, of course, but you build up calcium deposits on your bones mm-hmm. and you're tougher for it. And you learn how to hit. Yeah. You learn how to hit to where it doesn't hurt that bad. Well, you and know? you learn how to get hit, mm-hmm. which is a key. Mm. Like we spent more time learning how to get hit than we did how to hit. So had you never played rugby before walking on? Mm-hmm. No, really? they found me on the street my uh, freshman year and were like trying to recruit me hardcore and I was in the band and engineering school and working for the recording studio and so I was like which yeah. recording studio for Texas Tech um, oh really music oh department. really mm-hmm. yeah yeah so my wife and you were in band together yes we were mm-hmm. were there a lot of like band nerds in uh, Bushland you know there were 12 band students total my freshman really year. yeah so it was a small group tiny and uh, I think it was about between 30 and 40 by the time I graduated. Mm. See, Shannon says that occasionally she'll say, I was in band with somebody, but you don't realize that that means I was in band with like them and like 18 other people, yeah. you know, like yeah. we, and we traveled a lot, right? Yeah. Y'all did a lot of yeah, traveling a and group. competition. And mm-hmm. I imagine that the playing was pretty high. Was Blaze's dad? Yeah, he's the band director. The band director. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So it's so funny, like, um, meeting somebody that my wife went to school with because I yeah. get that story, yeah. you know, but it's kind of on a delay. Yeah. And then I'm like trying to put everything together. Yeah. But Bushland like really, down. really exploded, I feel like, into mm-hmm. Amarillo. There's a lot of people yep. that grew up out there that are still here doing Very doing active. cool things. Yeah. Shannon, uh, I believe, was a was a, a flautist. She and, was. And was she a, was pr- a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, she always brags about that. You know, it's like the little things – She'll say she's not musically talented. Oh, she is. But then she's like, oh, but I was like a really good, I was really good at just playing the flute. And I was like, yeah, if you're yeah. really good at playing the flute, then you're good at music. Yeah. Like that's what being good yeah. at music is, you know, it's like the the tricks, yep. you know, learning the tricks. Yeah. What did you play? French horn. French horn. Yeah, okay. I still play. Really? The town and gown band. Uh-huh. The town and gown. Town ga- and gown. Yeah. It's um like retired uh, symphony musicians and a bunch of band directors that never get to sit down and play themselves. Mm. You know, they're always teaching everybody else. And mm-hmm. so it's led by Dr. Garner, who's a legend from WT. Right on. And um, I don't, he's like over 80 now. Whoa. He's like Yoda. I really, mean, just oh, doesn't yeah. age, huh? He just hits it's that just, certain, yeah. that certain point, and then he's yeah. just, then he's just there. Yeah, and it's just, oh my gosh, the wealth of knowledge just sitting with those people. I mm-hmm. mean, a ton now, of them is that, legends. Is that, is that jazz? Like, are they mostly? No, it's symphonic. There's, oh, yeah, really, yeah. Hmm. So we don't have strings. Right, right. Oh, okay, okay, no strings. So not orchestra. Right. But so just band. okay, mm-hmm. and that so it's just the four. Brass, wind, and percussion. Brass, wind, and percussion. Okay, that's just like a typical, three. like your marching band mm-hmm, or something like mm-hmm. that that you would think of. Yeah, it's like nice. That. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, you, how often do y'all play together? Um, so the season's about to start back up. So we rehearse uh, once a week for like five weeks, and then we'll have a concert. So we'll have about four concerts. A I year. should sell tickets to the rehearsals. <laughs> oh yeah, the yeah. Concerts even free. Oh, it's free. Yeah. We should just sell like a maybe a subscription or something to where you can come because that's listen. the thing is 
is it's good. Like, I don't know that music, you know? So hearing a band rehearse it, hearing them practice it, hearing the different parts of it, yeah. you know, it, it helps you learn a different side yeah. of, you know. That's my problem is whenever I listen to symphony music in particular, I have the big ones in my head, mm-hmm. but I don't have like a lower strata. So sure. like I can probably say, oh, that's Chopin on a piano or, oh, that's like Beethoven yeah. on this. But I can't necessarily tell you different songs sure. or tell you different composers and all that stuff. We um, we don't play a lot of those really big ones, the real big classics that you hear orchestras mm-hmm. play. Ours are, um, there are so many um, writers out there. We've got quite the diverse group. And they let us request music too. That's the Oh, really? So, so wait, do you have writers in the group? No, no. I just oh, mean no. like people okay. that have written music over, you know, a century. Yeah. So take your pick, dude. That's crazy to think that because it's been going longer than that, right? Oh yeah. Like the that that form of a band has probably existed for hundreds of years, a wouldn't long you think? Time. A long time. Yeah, and some different um, instruments have kind of evolved. I mm-hmm. went to um, it, there's a museum of music in Barcelona, mm. and got to see like some of those ancient, um, like the first form of the piano. Yeah. In Oregon, and some of the like. There were a ton of double reed um, instruments like oboe and bassoon. There's yeah. a ton of them back there. Back really? Then. Yeah, like all, and different crazy stringed instruments and horns from all over the world. And wow, yeah, that is pretty crazy to think. Like, I mean, that was a that was a gig being a minstrel back in the day. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you were a musician that had an instrument yeah. and could like project a little bit, I mean, there's yeah. like rich people like hey. Come yep. play in my living room because yep. I just want some background music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, instead of an iPhone sitting uh-huh. in your cabinet, yeah. you have like a minstrel like plucking away at a guitar or no something. Siri back then, no yeah. Alexa. Yeah, that's crazy yeah. to think, you know, because I, I think that I'm underversed, right? Whenever I think back, like think about how cultured I am, mm-hmm. but then I'm probably overly cultured, like compared to like most of the like, people just being exposed to books and. Yeah. And knowledge. I mean, I can Google anything I want, sure. and then you fall down rabbit holes very quickly. There's very like quickly. deep knowledge mm-hmm. if you're willing to take the time oh, to yeah. get there. But for sure. All right, so that gets us kind of through college, sports. Like, what were your dreams in college? Like, were you uh, were you already kind of in the the same mindset that you are currently today, or were there some dreams that you were? Um, college, what I was very goal oriented. I was super focused. Um, I knew I was going to get my mechanical engineering degree. I tried to set myself up with a foundation that'll let me go in whatever direction I want mm, to. Nice. And so the engineering degree was like, okay, I'm good at it. It will, um, throw me into society at a certain status with a certain income, um, there weren't, there aren't a whole lot of women. There's a lot more now, but there aren't a ton of women in the industry. And so being kind of part of that pioneering, uh, movement, um, getting our foothold as females in that mm-hmm. kind of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I was going to have to pay my dues in the traditional realm for a bit, but wasn't sure what was going to come after that. Um, I was getting really close to graduation and my mom was like, do you even like engineering? And I'm like, no, it's boring. It's so boring, but I'm going to finish this and it's going to set me up for my future mm-hmm. when I, you know, like grow up and know what the heck I want to do. Yeah. You made the adult decision yeah, in the moment. It was brutal. Cause I had the, uh, 
we were at nationals rugby tournament and I had the U.S. scouts there to see me as a rookie. And it was like one of those moments where it was like, I had to sit and really decide, am I going to set myself up for success in the long term and like the very safe, secure route that I was on? Or am I going to go over here and play? Play some rugby. That would have been crazy. I know. Oh, that's a difficult decision. It was awful. That was a difficult decision, I bet. But it's okay. Damn, because I would have been on a national level, uh-huh. so you'd have been traveling uh-huh. all over the world, yeah. playing rugby. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That'd be a tough, that'd be a tough decision. It was. But you decided finish up the but, yeah. St- I got, stick to the plan, yeah, huh? Got in and out as fast as I could. Four years, I was like done. Nice. Couldn't get out fast enough. Really? Yeah, I hated it. So oh you were good at school, but you kind of hated just the. I hate the what system. Did you, the system. I hate, yeah, I hate the system. It made no sense to me. They gave very little application of what you're learning, mm-hmm. which, so now it's not registering. And so I had no value in it. I mean, I knew enough that, okay, I need a college degree and I'm going to get this job and blah, blah, blah. Like mm-hmm. I get that side, but mm-hmm. there wasn't like a deep intrinsic value to it. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, check that off the list. And everybody says, go to college, get a good job, buy a house, get the car, get the dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got done with school. I had a um, a contract with Pantex as a junior in college. I interviewed with them as like a practice round and ended up getting the job. Nice. Which I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm taking this. Yeah, so job yeah. security. Um, so I got out, came home, did the Pantex thing, bought the house, had the dog, had the car. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm 22. I have everything. Now what? Okay, so this is... Uh, where I was hoping to get. So you're you're at like really the extent of the possibility of dreaming as a young person mm-hmm. because there's going to be certain things that happen after 22 in anybody's life right. that are going to kind of change and redirect for the better, mm-hmm. like typically. I mean, like sometimes uh, diverting off of the plan of your dreams when you were a kid is the actual way to to progress in your mm-hmm. life or whatever, you yeah. know? So you're at the extent of, you're at the limitation of your dreams, 22. Um, what was the, I'm assuming that there was like a revolution or a, like, did you, did you have like a personal revolution? Like what was the, uh, where you, I have like here written down um, the blue, blue what, economy, blue economy. Like, mm-hmm. so like, what is it that is hitting you at that point? That's like driving you in the direction that you're currently at. So I spent a lot of time just asking questions and reflecting, like asking questions of myself um, and reflecting kind of on my childhood and my different interests that I had along mm. the way. And there was always kind of an interest in like improving the world. And there was a lot of interest in like, as an engineer, it was like wind energy, solar energy, mm-hmm. um, sustainability, water conservation, that sort of thing. So I started digging into that, and I called Mary Emini. I got somebody to um, introduce me at a symphony party to her and called her up and met her for coffee and ran some things by her. Explain who she is. Mary Emini is part of the... Um, Bush family lineage, which Bushland was named after. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she has shifted An- uh, Amarillo in massive ways. Mm. She's very grassroots, but she is. Um, her family has been a staple of the Panhandle, settled it, um, old ranching family. 
um, the Globe News Center downtown. That's her family that mm. made that happen. The you know what I'm talking yeah, about oh, concert yeah. hall. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's her family. Um, very very wise woman. She donated the land for Bushland High School to be built on. So there's a lot of little connections mm-hmm. that um, ties tied me to her. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know what that meant, but I pursued Ooh, it. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So sat down for coffee. Through, I don't even remember what it was that I was talking to her about. Something about sustainability and trying to figure out, you know, what direction to go and what she thought about this, that, and the other. And she listened patiently and smiled and then gave me a list of homework to go research. And one of those things was Blue Economy. Mm. And then I found that they were having a summer school hosted in Pej, Hungary. And I sent her the link, and she said she would sponsor my tuition if I could get myself there. So I went and took two and a half weeks of vacation and went off to Hungary, and it was life-changing. Damn, you get to go to Hungary. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It was an adventure. Yeah. Just getting there. I mean, a a couple flights and then stayed at an Airbnb in Budapest, met up with somebody else that ended up going with me that... I had met through a friend in Lubbock. She was another tech grad and former rugby player, ironically. But I was looking at it from, I'm more of like the technical side and she's an educator. So the two of us together would make like perfect duo. Mm -hmm. So we met in Budapest and then got on a train, which Hungarian, there's no hints of what word you're trying to read. Yeah, you're looking, is is that Hungarian? It looks like German to me. Okay. But there's like a slight. Like, it's the second hardest language in the world, behind wow. Chinese. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Like symbol wise or uh, like complexity, the, I guess the probably. Complexity. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. So, so okay, so you're on the train. So we get to it's the like, train. where the hell am I even going? Well, and then the the tracks are like under construction, so you get off the train and you get on this bus and hope you pick the right bus, mm. and then it takes you like the rest of the way. Damn. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah so that is middle crazy. of summer. In Pej, there were about 15 countries represented at this program. Wow. They had different professors from all over the world and different professionals and like a physicist from Sweden that has this vortex technology, water purifier, blah, blah. I mean, like super high level stuff. Um, And so you're looking at how to um, work on the sustainability issues, but designing it in a profitable business format. So instead of being dependent on like grants and the government or whatever it is and in a nonprofit format, how can you change the world and improve the base of life, um, baseline of life like anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. through a business? So multifaceted, you want a minimum of three cash flows before you do anything. Um, And the more complex that you can make it and the more diversified you can make your cash flows, the better. And the one, the common theme from all the different countries and all the different issues was food and beverage. That was first and foremost. And so kind of locked onto that with the agricultural background that I Mm -hmm. had and the interest in food and beverage that I, I mean, just from eating and drinking and studying that, who doesn't like that? But, um, so came home and, um, started up a bed and breakfast um, over huh. by, yeah, I did it through Airbnb. It was when Airbnb was new. Yeah. And so Where I... Where was that at? Um, 22nd and Harrison. 22nd and Harrison. 
had some friends that yes. were ready to retire and move nice. to Santa Fe, so they did, and I moved in and set it up as bed and breakfast. And oh, yes. how was that? Was it, that pretty fun? It was an interesting experience. Did you I get people from all over the place? Over. Yeah, and the traveling Route sixty six yeah. or what? Um, no, just really all over the place. What's interesting about when you set up a space to attra- and you're attracting people, you attract like minded people. Mm. And I don't know, there's something like magic, uh, magical about that that um, you can't really put words to. It's almost like one of them, if you build it, they will come kind yeah. of things. Uh-huh. Like, and kinda. it's all the right people. You'll get mm-hmm. a couple of the wrong people, but for the most part, it's all the right people mm-hmm. that just show up. So I learned a ton from that. Nice. I was still working at Pantex because mm. I hadn't, I didn't have a structure yet for like, or like an exit plan because you still got student loans and all of that. Yep. Um, and then a little bit later, um, that ended up not working out. Um, the owners of the place sold it to somebody else. Um, long story short. Yeah. So then um, a little bit later, I was like, I cannot do this Pantex thing anymore. After going to Hungary and having my brain like scrambled yeah. and reset and everything's flowing, I was so miserable sitting at that desk in that structure at that slow pace without any windows. Mm-hmm. So I left and I took a job with Evocation Coffee yeah. of all places. And So now like why is it friends or um, was it was it just like acquaintances? Like were you just looking at switching it up? Uh, somebody introduced us. I don't remember who it was. I had been hearing a lot about them mm-hmm. from mutual friends and they introduced us and they had this opening and it just made sense. Um, and so I was looking at, um, this was before the coffee shop existed. So oh, it just was roasting. just wholesale oh, at the time. Yeah. yeah. Roasting and doing the wholesale. So I did a stint with them and really dove into the coffee world. Um, went off to barista camp. Oh yeah. So wow. Yeah. That's see, that's like, uh, when you're a kid, you go to like space camp. I think right. when you're like a, like a young adult, you go to barista camp. Yeah. I mean, you should, <laughs> everybody should. It was fascinating. Yeah. Um, cool. The legends in the coffee world were all there. So learning how to steam milk from this guy that does a major podcast actually in uh, oh, really? in California that's really big in the coffee world, Cat uh-huh. Cloud. Yeah. Um, shout yeah. out. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> um, so yeah, I learned a ton about that and how much um, more depth there is just mm-hmm. to coffee alone in the in the food and beverage mm. world. Just that and the parallels between that and the wine world, which I learned a lot more about. And the science behind it, and the math behind it, and um, yeah, I mean, it was just, I was like, okay, I'm getting on the right track. Like, this isn't exactly it, but I know I'm heading in the right direction Mm -hmm. now. So then from there, I went up to Amarillo Club because I was a a member, and Rich Fleetwood was running the bar program up there, which he had turned into a mixology program. He had Mm. just revamped the whole thing. And as a member, he made me a cocktail... My first cocktail with egg white in it. Have you had one? No. Do have you heard Did, of it? I haven't had very many cocktails. Like, how are we friends and you haven't had very many? I know. Cocktails? I mean, it's it's okay. You and so, Riley in your beer, man. I know. Well, see, this is my thing. Is I was a victim of <laughs> of early <laughs> of uh, of early binge drinking, maybe. So, like, right after I was twenty one, it was kind of like one of those things. If something bad happened that i was upset about it was just like i guess i'm supposed to go get some whiskey you know or something like that and so 
So instead of or or it was like oh actually very distinctly remember why I can't drink tequila. It was a weekend down in tech like at Texas Tech, and I went down and I went rock climbing with some friends at the the gym down there. Uh-huh. I was hanging out, and for whatever reason, I was like I'm gonna go hard tonight. We're gonna party hard for some. I don't even know what the thing was. But we started with like just tequila shots, and by the end we're just drinking on the bottle, and it was just miserable, you know. So it's like one of those things. I I don't know if I'm responsible enough to be around liquor. Is like what are. I felt like, you know. Quality is key. Yeah, it was all, that. and that was cheap. Everything I was yeah. draping was like. I mean, I cheap, survived nasty, Texas Tech also stuff. with rugby. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. So rugby culture, you play the game, but even if you lose the game, you still have a chance for a rebuttal at the bar. And both teams go to the bar together and then out drink each other. Really? That, yeah. So if you win at the bar, it's just like winning in the I game. Mean, just about. Yeah. Wow. But if you what get an two interesting. For two, then those guys go home with their tails yeah. tucked. Oh, yeah. dang. So that's, I feel you. I that's was there. Interesting. They started me on Everclear. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't even taste like, it doesn't taste good. No. Like, I don't understand no. why people do that to other people. They're just like, here, the grossest thing that you can possibly imagine and it has a high chance of making yep. you sick. There drink this. There are very <laughs> few occasions that I drink anything that doesn't taste just absolutely delicious anymore. Right. So you're saying you're getting this first cocktail with egg white, which yes. is like, to a Western mind, you hear, okay, you're just drinking an egg white. Like that's like raw egg. That's not yeah. Safe. That's not there's, exactly. You're Why scared. Would you do that? Yeah. Sca- there's yeah. like a little bit of fear in there. Yeah. So you're saying, you, you he slides it across the table uh-huh. to you. You it's take a, a swig and it's what? A, in a beautiful little coop, and it creates this froth Ooh. that sits on top, I and the mouthfeel is like creamy instead of it just being like you know thin liquid. Oh. And then you can put bitters on top and have like a cute design or whatever. So uh-huh. it's a beautiful display. And then that first taste and having that mouthfeel where it's not just like shooting some tequila or whatever. Right. And it's not like a Jack and Coke. Um, yeah, it changed everything. And it kind of like light bulb went off, you know, after talking about coffee and tasting what coffee can taste like versus Starbucks or whatever mm-hmm. else or Folgers, you know, growing up on oh. a farm with Folgers. Yeah, you grow up on Folgers, and then now, like, I can't even drink it. Yeah. It, like, it oh, no. burns me. It yeah. burns me oh, to drink yeah. it. So it was like these stair steps. So I've had my first cocktail now. So I went to work for Rich um, and trained under him for a bit, and then he um, took a different job. So I took over the program mm. very quickly. And so it was like a sink or swim kind of deal. Um, and so I learned a lot really fast because I had to. And they had a consultant come in to the club. To kind of clean it up a bit. And so I learned a lot from a veteran in the industry of the business side of things. So he wasn't all about like the, you be creative with the cocktails, but this is what the business side needs to look like. This is how you need to clean up the numbers. This is how you build a menu, like on the wine side that makes sense numerically. He's teaching you the professional side of like not just being good at the craft, but actually presenting it properly and being sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Yep. So I did that. And then um, all the while, you know, learning more about distributors and how that stuff maps out and starting to learn from the chefs. And Joey Guzman was up there at the time. And um, learned a lot from that guy. He knows a ton. Um, He's over at Amarillo Country Club now. Mm. So um, from there, I took a job with Excel. 
had an opportunity as a program manager. Mm. Um, so I was looking at like the business side of things with like wind turbines and wind farms and the distribution of power mm-hmm. and like turn on, turn all of that into dollars basically. And so that's what I'm looking at um, and designing that and coordinating that. Um, so just more building on the business side of things, which I had done like affordability as a teenager at Bell Helicopters, like an intern. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So it was hmm. like everything kept building with food and beverage and with business side and wasn't sure how they were going to crisscross, but it was happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Doing this dance back and forth between the two. Ended up back behind the bar um, at Public House with Rich again. Had some new compadres that came in that we um, learned up real quick. And um, so we had like a monster team over there at Public House and had a blast and just got into the barrel aging and got it so much more. Mm. Tasting everything. Um, and then at that point, I really started mapping out the system of food and beverage from the inside. So that's interesting. So you're you're saying that being a good bartender starts way before the actual mixing. Oh yeah. You know, it's like you're aging it. You're mm-hmm. creating these drinks. You're 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 making it to where literally this is the only place in town where you can have this right. drink because yep. we've put in all this backwards. Well, and then pricing it correctly, right? So if you put, you know, three ounces of tequila and an ounce of this and a half an ounce of this, yeah, you've got a full glass. But from a business side, you're like, you're going to run your business into the ground. Mm. So there's a lot, like as you're building, you know, if you were to come in and say, hey, I want something with whiskey and I want it to have some bitters and I want it to be just a little bit sweet and maybe um, no fruit. Um, and then I would build something for you, but like the whole time I have to be like calculating, okay, like how much does this cost as I put it into the glass Mm -hmm. so that I'm not charging you, oh, well that's going to be $20 and you're going to be pissed. Right. Right. You want it to be a proper like portion portion. Like you want the person to feel like they paid the proper amount for the drink. Yeah. The value. While still recouping the cost Mm -hmm. of the higher quality liquors that you're putting in there. So yeah, that's so there is like a next level game mm-hmm. to playing it, making yep. sure that you're making that money. Yeah, and then teaching your a, yeah. your other bartenders how to do that as well, mm. so that they're not making that mistake as well. Yeah, not ever, have everybody on the same level. So that's all at Public House, and you're, um, you're yeah, dialing in it. crew. Yeah, that was we, and we had so much fun. It was it was crazy. We had a couple nights where the bar outsold the kitchen. Yeah, and then so. While we were there, the bar started playing with the kitchen. They're like, there's a lot of places where the kitchen keeps to themselves and the bar keeps to themselves. But if you can get that crisscross relationship, it's on fire. And we had that. And it was crazy. Mm. Yeah, getting to work with the chefs and these dinners and the relationships Ooh. were building. And they would have a special and we'd have come out with cocktail that paired For with that. For that, exactly. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. you're, then the food's tasting better. And the drink is tasting better than they would independently yeah. of each other. Well, and when your staff is happy, it, it all goes into whatever you're making. If you're a chef or if you're a bartender, like your mood goes into your drink and you can taste the difference. Like mm. if you're a seasoned taster, like if you've experienced that, you can tell, well, chef was pissed today, you know, because... It's oh, he's rushing right something yeah. or he's, yeah. he's not quite paying attention. Yeah. He's, yeah. So when you get a happy staff that is all getting along and vibing like that, like the production like goes up exponentially. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So was mapping out the the system of food and beverage and 
started to question why aren't we using local produce? Why aren't we using local, you know, there's so much food that's being grown or raised around here. Why aren't we using that? And figuring out the distribution process and um, like the dollar side, a lot of it comes down to the dollar. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to convenience because the chefs are used to everything coming in on a truck and they get the same thing. And you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. no, there's not as many variables. Um, but then they also get bored with that. And when you start throwing some constraints in there, like, Hey, you know, it's prickly pear season. Like right now I'm going to bring you 20 pounds of prickly pear. Like what can you do with it? And you have to use it pretty quick because mm. it's going to go bad. So, and you, d- you can't really freeze them successfully. Um, it changed the texture, but it's like, okay, you start throwing challenges at them like that and they just blossom to a whole nother level. Same thing with the bartenders. I'm mm. going to bring in this prickly pear syrup that is really light in flavor. So you can't cover it up. It's beautiful in color. How many, how many different ways can you use that in some cocktails? Ooh, so you're having to think which liquors are going to mm-hmm. complement like the lighter. Yeah. yeah. And clear colors mm-hmm. or clear liquor so that it accentuates the color yeah. and all those different things. Yeah. So started mapping all that out. And then um, all the while had been really interested in having like a farm to table uh, food truck. Mm. I really wanted one like really bad. And then I realized that there wasn't enough like farm to put on the table Mm. consistently. Damn, that's weird. Yeah. Because we grow a lot of stuff in the Texas Panhandle. Well, and a lot of the the big farmers are growing food for the cattle industry. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah. So a lot of those fields, I mean, it's not like you're going to eat cotton. Don't they say like 80% 80 of our domestic crop goes to feeding cows or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. 80%. So it's not like Iowa or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, the corn is good for us, not for the cows. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so started mapping that out and looking at, you know, sustainability, still thinking about blue economy and how you design that um, and being creative with that. And then... Went to a few more conventions, like up in uh, uh, Wisconsin, and was looking at... They had a convention up there where they're doing urban growing and feeding the poor, but it was a non-profit model. Mm. And it and their model was using hoop houses, which are like those semicircle with um, like a thick plastic mm. that they use, which does not work for our weather Because it's all. too hot? Well, we fluctuate too much. And so you can adjust those for whatever temperature, but when we go from like 71 day to 100 the next or 71 day to 20, oh, yeah. then what do you do? You know, it mm-hmm. shocks them and then you're done. You're like done. that was weeks of growing and now you got to start all over again. Oof. Or if a hailstorm comes, yeah, wipes you out like one done. night, yeah. done. So I knew it couldn't be that. A greenhouse was inefficient and has some of the same problems as the the plastic. Yeah. So, um, came to conclude that I needed like a steel building that was H, well, I came to conclude that I needed a permanent structure and then found that a steel, uh, steel building Quonset hut was the most cost effective way to do that with spray foam insulation. Um, and so now that's what I've got. So I built it, um, was approved for a loan through the USDA. I was trying to go the, uh, the investor route and thought that that was the only way to do it. And then... Um, a friend pointed me in the direction of a program that the USDA had and within eight days I had everything approved because I had done homework for Mm. years, had all the numbers for years, knew exactly what equipment I was going to use, all of that, had built these relationships with the different restaurants, the different bars. Um, So yeah, just here's everything that I've been working on. 
it was all approved in eight days and it was crazy. So that's awesome. Yeah. So like 40 acres west of town. Now the building will be done with, um, construction by the end of next week. Nice. Grow equipment is putting, they're putting that together the 21st through the 24th. So the end of this week. And then we go. Blazery planted the first seeds. Really? Yeah. He's got So a, now this is this is all hydroponic systems, so right? So started hydroponics because if you go to a bank and try to explain aquaponics, hydroponics, any of that, they're looking at you like, what? What is that? Yeah. So um, hydroponics is just plants and water. You add aquaponics and now you've got fish involved. So there's more variables. It's a lot harder to put, to quantify mm-hmm. and to put in a business plan that... People that are not savvy to any of those systems, um, it's it's just too complicated. Yeah. And so started with hydroponics. We'll definitely be adding aquaponics as soon as we can. Um, we'll be adding uh, mushrooms. See, that's cool when you build. I like how you. It sounds like you build your business model in like stages of growth. So you yeah. do this. This is what I can accomplish right now. Yep. And it will piggyback onto this, which I will add when it gets time to add mm-hmm. it, you know. But, yep. you know, that's kind of the hard thing. I feel like a lot of people hit that point where it's like you you could plan all day, yeah. but you have to start accomplishing small things. Yeah. yeah, you need small wins, which it's no small win. It's a 3,200 square foot building. It no, turned it's a into huge a win. monster. Yeah. Um, so we've got 1,700 square feet of grow space. We're only filling about 800 of that first with the hydroponics. And that will let, give us, you know, the other 800 square feet to grow in whatever direction, literally grow in whatever direction we mm-hmm. need to based on demand. So we're doing mm-hmm. all custom growing. It's not something where we grow a bunch of stuff and then we got to sell it over here. It's what do you want? What is your consumption yeah, rate? And we amazing. plant it for you. Mm-hmm. So there's a little lag and there's a little culture shift that has to happen there. Yeah, you have to be thinking six weeks ahead mm-hmm. and be saying, okay, as a restaurant, we're going to be serving everything fresh yep. in six weeks. Yep. What do we want to be serving? Yep. That's cool. It yeah. is. Just to offer that as an option yep. to a chef. Yes. You know, it, it really puts a lot more control. You know, it seems like... Uh, to me, at least, you know, the the better my day, it's the more in control of the day that I am. Mm-hmm. And if you put all of that control and say, look, in six weeks, you'll have all your menu all planned out. Yep. All you have to do is come in and yep. you just work and everything, yep. you know. Well, and there's a lot of questions about, well, hydroponics, does it even have any flavor? Because it's just water. So you take, the way it works is you actually dissolve um, your nutrients into the water. They're all soluble. Mm. And so your plants do get flavor out of it. Now, down the road, when we add the aquaponics, that'll be more for, like, say, your tomatoes and your peppers and stuff like that that have more water content in the fruit itself. And we'll, I was just up in Seattle at my friends and tasted their aquaponics uh, tomatoes, and it was like candy. It was crazy sweet. And They're that's, aquaponics? Yeah, so they okay. had bass in their system. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so when you get into the things like that that have like a fruit to it, mm. that's where That the symbiotic mm-hmm. relationship really comes out yeah, in flavor. definitely does, mm. yeah. And we're working on setting it up where it's going to be closed loop, so we'll be growing the bugs to feed the fish or other vegetation to feed the fish, mm-hmm. and then the fish feed the plants. And the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole circle's there. But we nice. put a, a wine cellar underneath, right? Blue Economy, all oh, the different yeah, cash yeah, flows. So yeah. we have 
Um, it's over 400 square feet of aging space. And I think we're going to be doing some cheeses and Dang, stuff like that, that's too. that's cool. Yeah. Making our own sausages. So does that all have to be climate controlled? It is, I mean, underground. It does it stay pretty good? It there? stays pretty, Because yeah. it's concrete. Mm-hmm. It's, so I did it? a dirt floor. Ooh, nice. And then had them backfill it with some gravel or like mm. some uh, like river rock yeah. type deal. So Ooh. it maintains humidity. Nice. And you don't have to worry about flooding. And you don't have to, and then you get more of that humidity from the ground coming up. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's my old house on Monroe had a dirt floor basement. Oh, yeah. Dug out dirt floor basement. That's actually one of the reasons I bought it was because I could redo all the plumbing and oh, stuff yeah. underneath uh, pretty comfortably, like standing up and walking around. Mm-hmm. But that, it always freaked people out when they saw that dirt floor. They're like, this house is just built on dirt. It's like, what do you normally build houses on? Like, that's, that's what that's kind of like how a house works you know yeah. it's like but they're like that gap just freaks people out yeah. you know um and yeah, that's my concrete guy was not happy he was like yeah. oh if you have flooding i'm like then i have a 400 square foot drain exactly. like what's the problem yeah that's awesome and it's way cheaper this way uh-huh so yeah so that's that's under there um We've got a commercial kitchen, so it's mm. not like your uh, mass production with fryers and the crazy grease. It's not what you think of with that. But we have like a double oven and the six range burn or mm. six burner range, and we've got um, a radiance, which is these massive things that you can do like um, massive things of soup, or you can do pho, or we're gonna use it for canning is mm. the main focus on that. So we'll be doing lots of canning. But, um, yeah, so we've got a kitchen to where we can take anything out of the farm and turn it into something else, like a secondary product. Um, and it's something where, like, other farmers can come in and do that. Or we can use it as a common space to bring chefs and mm. bring farmers in and start that dialogue between yeah. them. Because they speak totally different languages. Ooh. And that was one of the things I found working in food and beverage was this chef has only ever gotten things off the truck. And this farmer has only has put never, stuff yeah, on the truck. Yeah. I mean, so they don't know there's like a gap right there. See, that seems so strange to me. And like, I wonder when that separation started. Because you got to think a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. you, you walked into the butcher and the butcher's like, what are you looking yeah. for? Well, dang, I want a yeah. juicy steak. Yeah. Well, All right. Here's, a, like here's yeah. a juicy steak. Mm-hmm. Pay me this much for yeah. that. You know, yeah. you, you have these people constantly assessing value yeah. throughout and then delivering a higher product, yep. like a higher quality product, yep. you know? I mean, it's still like that in parts of the world. I mean, the little villages in France and stuff like that, you can you can still find. And some places in, in the States, too, France is just more romantic. Mm, but um, yeah. the uh, I think it happened when there was a demand for, like, regulation and so you know especially americans we love to have everything available all the time right and so that that's when it got lost when somebody figured out how we could have bananas year-round or you can go to the store and get you know a hundred steaks if you want at any time it's not butchering season and it's not like you know Mm. the seasons disappeared right and because of our demand we wanted to be able to have it whenever so mm-hmm. i'm curious i kind of want to dig into that like when when did that shift actually happen and where did it start did it start in the united states with have our you culture? read that book by when what by uh wendelberry what's it so uh, i'm not even gonna be able to think of it we read it for a book club but uh it was interesting because that's kind of what he was talking about was like 
how he's he's at the at the end of several generations of farmers and he's starting he always heard these old farmers saying things like like warning you know like don't go you know like it's getting too corporate or it's getting yeah. to this or you can't do this or you can't make a living off of an acre yeah. anymore whereas i think probably 100 years ago you have an acre farm. You're selling at the farmer's market. You're giving it away to friends. Yep. You're completely feeding yourself. I mean, yep. that's everybody who has a garden. Yep. They're constantly like, hey, here's a bag of vegetables yep. that I have nothing to do with yep. other than like give them away to people, yep. you know? Well, and you've got, it's kind of crazy like the politics. I'm not a political person, but it's interesting to watch like people getting upset about like, did you see the article recently that came out that they're finding that it's not a massive epidemic of gluten allergy that people think that they think it's the gluten, but it's actually the pesticides or the chemicals that oh, are involved shit. with farming that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have issues like that where people are so pissed and then the farmers are the ones that get sued, but really it's backwards. It's the demand. People have the demand to be able to have what they want when they want the it. The farmers trying to to fill fill the demand right. that already yeah. exists. And so okay, so you, you have want, to do yeah, stuff exactly. So you're doing it on these massive scales. So now you've got monocrop, and you're tilling it up every year. And so you don't have like a solid base of like the microorganisms in the soil that keep everything healthy. Mm-hmm. And you have one bug that can wipe out your whole crop. So now you have to spray it. Or else you're not able to feed your own family. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it's totally based on demand. I mean, it's like people want different things to eat and drink in Amarillo at these restaurants and bars, but everybody still orders their Jack and Coke or vodka soda. And it's like, well, if you start ordering different things, or, you know, they want their filet every night or whatever it is. Damn, I wish I could have a filet every night. Well, there are people in town that (laughs) do it. I know, it's crazy. It is crazy. I get like a filet a month. And they want it the exact same way every single time. Damn. Yeah. So as you start, like people don't realize that they're actually in control of that. As you shift the demand, which you are the demand. Right. Then that enables the people that have the tools to bring in these new products. Right. It's the the economy model. It's Mm -hmm. like saying... You have to, there has to be a demand for yep. it in order for it to be brought in. Yep. That's interesting. Yep. So you got a big old building out there. Big old building. We've already started planting. We've got the kitchen. Super interested in hosting a lot of like educational um, events and having those conversations happen between like people like you that are just curious Uh to come on in and we'll bring in some farmers and we'll bring in some chefs and like let them play and well that's what's cool is like it'd be cool to to do something over beets yeah i don't know how to cook beets i didn't grow up eating fresh beets but it would be cool if a if a chef showed like hey these are two ways of cooking this beet here's a steam way and here's a in the skillet way and then you can go in these different directions. Yep. So then next time I'm walking through the beet I know aisle, I'm like, oh. I, or those you are, see them at the farmer's market. Yeah, it's like those are in season. And I know what to do with an in season yeah. uh, yep. beet, you know. Yeah. Get that thing ate. Well, and you can do it with um, with cocktails too. Mm. You know, I just did um, Sam Blackburn, which is the head chef for Northwest, was the PBS farm to table chef at this last mm. week. And he did, for the main course, did um, a pork shoulder with a hot honey glaze. And then he did different roasted roots and, like, cooked them separately with different seasonings so you could experience every single root. And they all, it's all local. 
so local farmers digging out these roots so one of them was beets and he was like well I don't want to put the beets in there because aesthetically the beets bleed all over everything else so now everything's pink um, so I was like well I want it because I want that bleeding and so I infused a Texas bourbon with it oh damn completely different application yeah. so now it's like this beautiful color and it brought out the sweetness of the beet into the drink wow. that complemented the rest of the root veg that was going on that they were eating. So it was a cocktail Damn. that I wouldn't sit down and say, hey, I want the beet bourbon cocktail. You know, I wouldn't put that on a menu, but it was something to just highlight what he had just done on that plate. So, so, you're, so that. you're thinking that night you start off as a good what how what cocktailist? Like what is the mixologist mixologist yeah, yeah so so you're starting the night off you're getting to work you walk back to the kitchen and you look around and you say hey chef what all do you got fresh tonight like what are you doing special for tonight because you got some oh i'm doing beets okay damn i know what to do with a beet yeah. and a cocktail mm-hmm. so anytime the waitress comes to the table if they order this they could say would you like the complimentary or yeah. like the to compliment your meal would you like the custom whatever yeah, cocktail paired with that dish yeah, yeah that's like that's pretty that's pretty slick uh-huh. like that's as a waitress you're going to get a better yeah. tip if your kitchen and your bar are doing things like yeah, that to create that kind of ex- it's all about the experience and it was really we had over a hundred people at that dinner they got that experience. So mm. this was something that Sam and I had planned out. It was, you know, I let him talk to the chef or to the farmers about what they had available. I picked out some local um, like spirits to start and beer to start with. And then I let, you know, okay, here's his dishes cuz it's about the chefs, we're, mm-hmm. you know, featuring highlighting the chefs. them, yeah. their talent. And so they took the ingredients, turned it into this, praised the farmers for, you know, where it came from and all the work that went into it. And then it was like, okay, Here's my menu. Now, what can you do on the drink side? And then that's what we did. But yeah, ideally, you could be like at Public House or or, uh, or Copper Fire because I just got done uh, mm-hmm. consulting them. I set up my bartenders with all of the ingredients, whether it's like liqueurs or bitters or whatever it is, where they can customize anything. They've got nice. all the flavors of the rainbow to you play let, with. You you allow them to be individuals yeah. within a system that yep. is going to set them up for success. Yeah. I mean, it's like a chef with their spice cabinet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I feeling tonight? Well, this, this, and this. That's basically what they have set up there. Mm. So instead of like, well, I'm going to write you a menu and you're going to make this cocktail every night kind of deal, it's like teach them how to taste and how to balance citrus and bitters and spice and you know all of mm-hmm. that but so yeah we're going to do a lot of that out at the farm where nice. it's where it's neutral ground chefs can come from wherever they come from because they bounce a lot you know mm-hmm. so there's none of that there's no competitiveness it's just hey we as passionate food um well, there is artists, a, there's a larger competition Yes. So it's not that there is no competition. It's that there's a larger competition that you need to collaborate with each Agreed. other to yes. to accomplish. So it's saying there is a competition. It's your job to grow the best beats. Yeah. It's my job to know what to do with the best beats. Yeah. So we need to get on the same page yeah. and then we can win yeah. at the larger market yeah. of Amarillo or the larger... Mm-hmm. Well, know, and it's sitting at I-40, 927 Crossroads. I mean... 
if we can start making a name for ourselves where people want, it's not like, oh, I got to stay in Amarillo tonight. It's like, oh, I get to stay in Amarillo tonight yeah. and I get to eat my favorite blah, blah, blah mm. and see what they've so got going. So you, you make it a stop. You make it to where they get yeah. here in the morning. They're going to eat at their favorite brunch place. Mm-hmm. They're going to see a ball game at two o'clock. Yep. They're going to go get another meal and then some cocktails. Yeah. And then they're going to spend the night here. And yeah. then the next morning, they're going to wake up refreshed, rested, and finish their road mm-hmm. trip. Well, and yeah. I think down the road, it could be something where you even have people educated enough to where they recognize the seasons, right? So, like, at our house, oh, right now, it's Concord grape season. So, we just harvested the grapes. And that's once a year. And we get to look forward to making that syrup. And then we have breakfast with this amazing Concord grape syrup all over everything. Yeah. And that's once a year. Just, like, prickly pears we're going to harvest this week. And that's once a year, and we're going to make as many different things as we can to preserve them. See, that's what we lost from, like, um, one of the things that I imagine was really amazing about Europe, like, prehistory, was these festivals. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, I bet that there were, they they had all of their religious festivals, everything was based off of these different harvests, Mm -hmm. for the reason that you're saying, hey, all hands on deck, we're making syrup this week. Everybody drops yep. everything else that they're doing, and well, we make Egyptians syrup. Egyptians even, right? Mm-hmm. Like all the celebrations about the Nile, and you know now it's time for flooding, which mm-hmm. waters all the crops, and then it goes back down, and now it's time for harvest. It's like worshiping the cycle. Yeah. They're well, worshiping the that's cycle. That's where the solstice the, yeah. came from. I mean, that's where those celebrations and the moon and mm-hmm. like all of those massive cycles that we're way out of control of. That's where all of that comes from. It's like... Uh, it's like... Um, well, I've heard it like compared maybe to like a surfer with the sets. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to surf the sets, right? You have to learn how they come in, yeah. it, you know, when the swell's going to happen, when do you get in position versus when do you hang out, like all yep. this different stuff. You got to learn your position. Yeah. And I think that that was how man learned his position in the universe mm-hmm. is by watching the universe. You're watching yeah. the stars, these celestial bodies, all these things that you're right, we're not in control of. But they're somewhat predictable. Mm-hmm. They're somewhat consistent. Yep. That you can count on certain things, yep. you know? And then you build your life around mm-hmm. that. Or your economy. Or yep. your livelihood. You know, everything. Well, when I was up in um, Seattle at that conference, um, one of the things, one of the pieces we talked about was the beauty of constraints. Mm. And so the example that they gave, because when, when you've got, abun- yes, don't be in scarcity mentality, but when you have the abundance of you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it, it doesn't provoke much creativity. Ooh. And so the example they gave us was Mick Jagger. Hmm. That the reason oh, that Mick Jagger got his dance moves is because he was limited to like 10 square feet on the stage for some performance or maybe while they were on tour and so because he only had 10 square feet to dance in he had to dance real weird yeah and it's called peacocking and so that's what he became known for was yeah damn yeah so like brilliant example of that and there's tons of them i mean um oh man that is crazy uh, there was another big one that i can't remember now but yeah like the the beauty of constraints by putting limitations and you can actually watch artists do it if you give them too much creative freedom they kind of like freak out and spin mm-hmm. for a minute because they're like their brains just like are all over the place but if you go in and you say it's a funneling like yeah. you have to funnel mm-hmm. them into a yep. specific and they I, love it yeah they, I mean, the yeah. accomplishment of that, mm-hmm. like I gave 
my chefs the uh, the challenge of a a wine dinner where they could only each course could only be three bites. So how do you pack the most like flavor and presentation oh, and all of that? How many courses? Seven. Ooh. Yeah. They, the stuff they came bites? up with was crazy. You're talking 21 bites. 21 bites. You got to satisfy somebody in 21 bites. Yes. Wow. Uh huh. That's a that's interesting. Right. And then paired with like and a then couple I was pairing with a couple wines yeah. or whatever. Yeah, there was um there was gonna be wines, but with it being, you know, 12 people sitting at a table and you only need enough wine to go with those three mm, bites. Three bites. That let me open up the really expensive bottles of wine, Ooh. right? Because you can open up one bottle for the whole table per course. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. So uh. if we can shift back a little bit to where we're selling, and Blaze and Riley and I have mm-hmm. all actually discussed this, that once the farm is up and running and we've got kind of this community of farmers where we're kind of the hub of that, we can like facilitate that, that we definitely want to start having those harvest, like seasonal mm. celebrations like you're talking about, the festivals yeah. where, you know, it's whatever season it is, like everybody come out and enjoy whatever, you know, maybe it's time to butcher the hogs so we're gonna put a full one on a spit or something and the rest are in the freezer and fill up your freezer kind of deal well and i you know i thought it was interesting when you were saying earlier that you grew like you y'all had family cattle y'all had y'all had family Mm -hmm. cows that you would butcher Mm -hmm. and eat yep and how we've lost like i was joking when one time at crush with a couple i just met it was kind of weird i think they maybe thought it was weird about i think that they should have sacrificial like mounts in the middle of the room you know of the of the dining room where they bring the cow in they string it up they do a sacrificial killing of the the cow so that people realize dude if i order a steak this is what's happening yeah this is what's happening now not that that's not right and humane and good and all these things that should be celebrated but you have to acknowledge that there's a cost Mm -hmm. right if america gets into a frame of mind where they're not acknowledging the cost of their want of -hmm. their desires you become you disassociate from the from the you know the uh, repercussions of Mm -hmm. your desires you know so i that is one thing i i think would be like good I think back on like my great grandparents, how they grew up. And I mean I whenever I was a kid, um, my mom is Mexican and her mom was I was actually there when she got became a US citizen, you know, when I remember going down to old Mexico whenever we were little kids and being with so it would have been my great great grandmother. Oh wow. And her just snagging up a chicken, lopping its head off with a knife. Yep. Throwing the chicken's head into the bucket and just letting the, uh, oh, wife's getting home, and just letting that chicken go crazy and running mm-hmm. around. And I'm standing there and there's like all these chickens with their heads chopped off. Yeah. And I mean, I was young. I yeah. was like a little bitty kid. And nobody was like concerned about me being confronted with death or seeing uh-huh. something gruesome. It's like, what happened to the chicken's heads? We had to cut the chicken's heads off. So We're we about eat. to eat them. You're hungry, aren't And you? it's like... You, you killed the chicken. It's like, yeah, we're about to eat the chicken. It's it's a yeah. reality that mm-hmm. you get to be exposed to versus a lot of little kids these days. I say these days just because I don't know what else, how else to refer to them. But they don't see this, this 
farm living, this real life, the harvesting of the crop, the harvesting of the herd. They don't see this. So then they just like, I want McDonald's chicken nuggets every every day. And it's like, dude, you're killing a chicken every time you eat chicken McNuggets, you know, and you're paying $4.99 for them. Like that's... That's a chicken's life for four, well, for a lot of servings of yeah. four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not much chicken in those. Yeah, that's something that we've looked at having, you know, where people can like book, say, a dinner out there. Because it's not like a restaurant, you know, so it's not, and it's not in the city. But having where they can come out and experience that, you know. And if they're, if we're having chicken tonight, well, you can be out there and learn about that process of killing and cleaning the chicken. Oh, dang. Yeah. And, and some of it, it's, um, I think you get more depth with kids when you expose them. Of course, parents are going to have to approve it. But if you can instill that in the kids, then the kids are in the parents' ears constantly, right? Kid, uh, parents have become, like, calloused. They've been in this state for their whole life. And so the easiest way to their ears and to their heart is through their kids. Mm -hmm. And so you start teaching the kids these things and where the food is coming from and the preparation of everything. And then now you've got them going home and they're in their parents' ears. And And you have little chefs. Yeah. Dude, you want to give the mom a break in the household? Teach the kids to cook. Yep. You know, you want to give the parents a break? Teach the kids how to take care of themselves, but also how to generate, you know, something in the household. Like, I mean... Um, families should eat meals together, period. Mm -hmm. Whoever you consider to be your family, you should have a group, you should have a family. Everybody should have a family, a group of people that they come together with and it's a no bullshit. I know you for actually who you are, you know, Mm -hmm. but it has to be around a meal. Like there's something special about preparing the meal, how you say you can taste people, how people's emotions are Mm -hmm. in the meal. Like, that's a that's a good way of like ringing the bell on the house, like yeah. checking the tone, you know, yeah. making sure that everything's in tune. Yeah. Well, and it tastes so much better when you know what work went into. I started taking chefs with me when I, like recently, I needed to go to Abernathy to pick up the pig and take it to the butcher in Tulia. Well, that was a whole adventure because this pig is trying to jump out the back of the trailer and we're mm. like going down the highway, slamming on the brakes. And it was like so stressful for 30 minutes <laughs> and ridiculous. And... um just like how much effort goes into that or like we drove to pampa and i had a friend with too many little young rams that needed to be go ahead butcher them because there's just way too many males in the herd and so we loaded up five of them and then drive all the way to the next butcher town or whatever drop them off and then you got to go pick them up and just like how much uh like logistics go into all of that and ha- so taking the chefs with me to experience those little you know couple hour moments or whatever it is like totally changed their perspective of mm. like what comes in on that truck and it makes the bacon taste that much better or for this pig i had them just cut it up and not cure anything so we're actually gonna i'm gonna take the chefs out there and we're gonna learn how to cure pork and how to like cure the bacon and do that sort of thing mm. and like old timey stuff you yeah know? um getting back to the art of the preservation of it um long before we had all the packaging yeah so, yeah well and it, it's interesting how sometimes it's a regression is the progression mm-hmm. like sometimes it's the through efficiency you might lose some things you don't want to lose yeah. like some things are not efficient 
Yep. Like an, a well-aged bottle of wine is not efficient. Yeah, it's just it, time. It can't be efficient. Mm-mm. You can't speed it up. Nope. You can't do anything. you got to just nope. give it that time. Which gives you that much more appreciation for right. it. Right. I mean, and and the value of the wine makes people appreciate it mm-hmm. more. So then there's yeah. these wine connoisseurs who appreciate the the hundred year old bottle of yeah. you know wine. Yeah, time seems to be the common Crazy. denominator for appreciating time, or at least the easiest one. So like even with the barrel aged cocktails, right? It's a celebration when it's the mm-hmm. day that you're supposed to untap it or tap the keg or whatever it is. And um, finally get to taste it and see how it came out. It's like the birth of a baby. You know, you've been yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting, and how's it going to come out? Well, what and it has an. It's interesting because there's a there's another level to this like cultural investment mm-hmm. because a lot of it is not going to come to fruition until after you're dead. So you're like, for instance, the hundred year old bottle of wine. The man who was forty who bought the bottle of wine and who put it in there to be aged is not going to be the one drinking that bottle of wine. He yep. knows it when he's putting it into the, mm-hmm. the wine rack. Yep. But he does it anyway. Yep. It's like this uh, commitment to, a, I guess, maybe a craft or uh, maybe even just like enjoyment. Yeah. Like he's so committed to enjoyment that he's preparing other people that aren't even born yeah. yet yeah. something to enjoy. It's a to gift enjoy. to your grandkids that you'll it's never crazy. meet or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You have to view that kind of stuff in such a weird way. Like then you put that into the constraints of like economy. Yeah. And it it's almost it almost seems like it's uh like at odds with the you know like mm-hmm. they're like they're not the same mindset. Yep. Because it's how is it economic for this guy to make a financial investment that he is not going to recoup before you know I mean it's it's all these weird these like next interesting conflictions uh-huh. like philosophical conflictions yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Man. So we're at an hour 18. I got two more questions I got to make sure. Actually, okay. maybe three questions that I got to make sure I get to. Uh, and then we'll pull the pen. It'll be a, probably about an hour and a half. Are you sitting good on time? You mm-hmm. need any water or no, anything I'll comfortable? Sit. Okay. Um, so my first question is, well, what plugs do you have? Like how, mm-hmm. how can people um, follow your journey, keep up with what you're doing? Maybe oh. – maybe, uh, stay in tune with the events that you're going to be yeah. offering and that kind of stuff? So um, fa- I'm on Facebook and Instagram um, just under my name right now. Uh, Savvy Approach is on Instagram. But we're actually, this week, we're going to be launching the Facebook and the Instagram and working on the website for Reinventing the Wheel. Okay, it's called coming. Reinventing the Wheel. Yeah, play okay. on words. Uh, wheel is W-E-A-L, which is um, what's best for one. So mm. wealth... Um, and well-being, health. Okay. All, yeah. Oh. It's an old word that's not used anymore. People think I can't spell, which I'm not a great speller, <sighs> but that was intentional. And then reinventing, um, it's, you know, we're not inventing health and well-being. We're reinventing. We're going back. Re-understanding. And, yeah. Re-in- mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So we're about to. Introducing maybe. Yeah. So we'll be launching that. Um, like I said, grow equipment and everything is, um is being assembled so we have a lot to capture we've been kind of waiting mm-hmm. until construction got to a point where it was pretty much wrapped up so we're about to start posting nice. a ton and get the website up we'll have a subscription program for the produce as well mm. and we're definitely going to have a grand opening party i'm not sure if it's going to be separate from the pbs event because november there's been a pbs farm to table series it started in june once a month 
Um, so October's coming up, and then ours is going to be the finale. Ooh, nice. So we're November, and so my chefs over at Copper Fire will be the chefs for the event, and our farm will be the feature. We're not sure if it's going to be hosted at the farm or not. Fingers crossed. We, we're we're leaning towards it. Nice. So it'll be an epic event. But if we don't do that, we'll have a grand opening celebration, and I'll be posting all over um, for people to come out and, and see the place. And yeah. Learn a little bit and maybe taste some things and cool. I'll throw some some of those links. I'll throw down cool. in the in the bottom. That way, sometimes it's hard for me because I'll I'll hear somebody talk about something on a podcast. Yeah, and then I want to follow it up. Yeah, but then once I'm out of the podcast, I have to like go back and try to listen mm-hmm. to get. But I'll put all those links in the bottom. That way, people okay. can just click awesome. them quick. And Thanks. so, uh, any any other any other plugs? Um, not right now. No, just follow so. you on Instagram. That's probably yeah. the best place to, yeah. it seems like that's, uh, from like my observation of mm-hmm. your social. Yeah. I feel like Instagram's the, the best way to just get those little information dumps mm-hmm. as to what you're up to, what's yep. new, what's yep. happening. And we're going to set our platform up to where we are. Um, there's a lot going on on our farm, but then on the website, we're going to be featuring other local farmers. Okay. Um, and kind of be sort of a, a broker of sorts where, mm. you know, if it's this season and there's a surplus of this, maybe that farmer doesn't have the connection to the network that we do. So we'll buy them from them or, Ooh. and then you can come out to our farm and like, pick up whatever yeah like we'll be having like Pereira's dairy products will be well that's big as people need to know if i'm gonna commit to cooking fresh food right there's an option what's available yeah Yeah. cool nice all right so those are some good places to keep up with you did you pick a song to close out the album um i am obsessed with the greatest showman okay and there's a song come alive that is so appropriate for kind of, uh, I don't know, when people come out and they spend time at the farm or with us when we're talking about it and we just kind of like light up about everything that we're doing, especially mm. if they're sitting at a meal, um, physically like eating it as we're talking about everything. And it's kind of everybody that's um, become involved is just kind of like coming alive with um, with themselves and their dreams and their passions and their goals. And um, it's kind of like... Uh, I don't know, liberating yourself and um, you don't have to pursue some crazy career that's up the ladder in the suit mm. and all of that. You can find your joy in your work. And, in overalls. Uh, in overalls with your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, driving a truck. Okay, so that kind of segues into my final question. Okay. Is how do you define success? Success. Um, I think where you are vibing with you feel it more than anything it's not something you can quantify it's not a it's not a financial amount yes where you're able to feed yourself and you have all your needs met and you're not like struggling so you're not in a mentality of like scarcity but where you are in sync with what your heart desires in terms of life you can just kind of figure it out. Like, I do not belong up north in the cold. Like, mm. that is not for me. That is not my lifestyle. I do not belong in a desk inside. Um, I definitely need to be doing some kind of manual labor. Mm-hmm. 
weekly, if not daily. Can like uh, measure it in uh, buckets of dirt carried or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and then, um, but then where you know I'm intellectually stimulated, and I have the people around me that are taken care of, like my loved ones and friends, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So it's I think it's when you are actually pursuing what you're passionate about and where you feel valued because Mm. of contribution to society i feel like a lot of people um yeah they might be doing doing the grind and they're doing their job and they're raking in the cash but they don't they're not fulfilled because they don't feel like they're contributing to society i mean like for me working at pantex and people like oh my god that's amazing i'm like okay but i'm literally working on things that i hope are never used in the world like, if you think about that, mm-hmm. as an engineer, I'm designing things and hoping that they are never used. So how is that improving society? There's no mm. fulfillment there. But if I'm feeding somebody a healthy, nutritious, fresh, flavorful meal that improves people's lives, like, at a baseline every single day. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's that's, that's my purpose and my driver and my contribution to something that's greater than myself. So finding whatever that is paired with your passion and you're now successful. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I was like uh that that's what it's interesting because like success one of the things that success breeds is abundance. Mm-hmm. And if you don't consciously decide how you're going to deal with the abundance once it's there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you sometimes you squander it or you lose it or whatever, whether it's love or time. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's one of the things that's hard for me is I've been realizing a lot lately that, like, one of the things I was going to uh, decide, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast or not, but Emmett's kind of getting near end of diapers. Yeah. And it was, like, one of those strange things where I was like, man, I feel like once I'm 50... And I'm going to be thinking back on Emmett as a baby. I'm going to measure success in how many diapers I changed of his. I changed a lot of diapers. But that means I'm I'm there. I'm, yeah. I'm there for him to change his diaper. Yeah. And uh, so the more that I change, even the nasty, gross, dirty, even no matter how bad it was, each one I changed is a measure of success because that means I was getting to spend time mm-hmm. with this little dude, you know, yeah. like the only time he's going to be little in his whole life yeah. and it's, it's ticking by every single, you know? So you kind of have all these different ways you have to like look at it. But I feel like success or the, the hard thing about success is stopping and enjoying the moment of, of like being present to see the success that you're already living in Mm -hmm. or almost like that. It's kind of, well, yeah, when you have those moments, that the more moments you spend in appreciation of what you have and what you've accomplished, like it just fills that cup even more. When you're so, looking around, and you're like, oh my God, I set out to do this years ago and mm-hmm. now I'm here and I have all these people around me that I adore Right. and we're all doing this together and I left the corporate world and it's like actually happening. happening yeah. But to not, like you're saying, those moments tick away, so to not take those for granted and I think like going back to what you said about um that families need to eat together period whether it's blood or whatever it is and those are like the perfect moments daily to spend in that like appreciation of of what you have because you can Mm -hmm. sit down you're eating a meal and you literally have all those loved ones right there 
that you can look at. And so it's like really easy to put yourself in that state of mind by surrounding yourself with them at least weekly, right. if not daily. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, good. Good one. All right. Well, and hey, hour 28. We made it. So almost almost exactly. I was thinking it was going to be about an hour 30. So nice. we are almost just right. But And then once the... Once we do the song play out plus the final little bit, it's going to be well over that. I've been, uh, it's interesting, I've had several conversations with people about length of podcasts. Mm -hmm. It's like, does the length matter? You know? I don't know. Sometimes it's too long. Sometimes it's too short. You know? It it depends on the topic. It depends. If it it engages them or, you know, if there's application that they see to their lives, then Mm -hmm. it probably doesn't matter. But yeah, we'll do this again for sure. We'll probably... It's funny because I feel like I've already, like I could just have the exact same guest list that I've already had mm-hmm. probably on for the rest of the existence of the show. You know, like by the time I rotate back through, yeah. people are, everybody's doing new stuff yeah. and moving on, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting. But we'll do this again soon. I appreciate you coming on. Um, everybody uh, enjoy The Greatest Showman. Is this Hugh Jackman singing on this thing? It is. Wow. See, that dude's a yeah. multi-talented individual. He started on Broadway. Did he really? Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the movie... Mm, it wasn't The the Prestige? Yes. Ooh. He's good in oh, that movie. Yeah. He's really good. Oh, yeah. Christian Bale and him. Uh-huh. They're like the perfect adversaries. Like, yes. I, I want those guys in real life to hate each other. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. two people that are that talented and attractive and yeah. everything, they need to hate each other, I yeah. feel like. Like, I want them. That's the only way you can balance the world, uh-huh. you know? So, have you not seen Great Showman? You know, I have not. I've heard a lot of people say it's really great, and to. I do actually like musicals. He prepared for three years for the vocal side of that. Really? Yeah. And he came straight from the last X-Men ever to the set for this. It's was that incredible. Was that, um, what was that one called? Logan? Was that so. the last one ever? I think so. Really? Was it Logan or was it the X2 or, I, I don't know. I don't really watch I can't. Those, I can't but, keep up with them. Yeah, they jumped many, all over yeah. and then they did the time swap yeah. and everything. It's multiple storylines. Yeah. Come on, Marvel. Uh-huh. Get it together, Marvel. You need to uh, give me yeah, a cohesive universe. Sit down with a proper sound system whenever you watch oh, it. Oh, okay. Because the soundtrack is just just insane. amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to do that. I'll have to. I'll have to get well, some. Shannon would love it too. Oh yeah, she's a she's a big uh, oh, musical. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. That's funny. All right, everybody. Thank you all and uh, adios.
and it's open wide. You're electrified. The world becomes a fantasy, and you're more than you could ever be. Cause you're dreaming with your eyes wide open. And you know you can't go back again to the world that you were living in. Cause you're dreaming with your eyes wide open. So come alive. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Just to reiterate, today's sponsor was Happy Hour. They are open at 3801 Olson Boulevard. Use primate or primate. Use promo code Happy Primate for 20% off of your order. Uh, again, appreciate y'all listening. Check out my Facebook page, Panhandle Primate Podcast Facebook page. Check me out on Instagram at Panhandle Primate. Uh, I think I'm on Twitter, but hardly ever. Uh, check out my website. If you uh, if you just subscribe to the podcast um, through iTunes, um, on my website I also have a couple of short stories I've written, a couple of blog posts. I, don't, I haven't really been keeping up with it uh, like I would like to, but... There's some stuff there, so check it out if you will. Uh, I appreciate you listening, and uh, until next time, peace out.